Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. For a long time now, I have wanted to sit down and do an interview with my mom to ask her the big questions about life that we seldom, if ever, really discuss. So for this Mother's Day, I decided that it was time to prioritize this conversation that I've wanted to do for so long, even if it meant that I had to suffer through the perils of recording on Zoom, as opposed to honestly chatting face to face. This episode is a very special and personal one that frankly, I recorded for me. This one's not for social media sharing, it's not for search engine optimization, and it's certainly not to grow an email list. This one is for me. But my hope is that listening to today's conversation with my mom inspires you to reach out to your parents, if of course you are still fortunate enough to have them alive, or instead maybe your siblings or those who helped shape the person that you are today, so you can have an honest conversation with them just like this one. This is the second of my two-part interview where I have created a series of 20 specific questions that I'm calling 20 questions to ask your mom on Mother's Day, which can of course be repurposed to suit your own needs. These questions were inspired by a similar exercise that was created by high-performance coach Brendan Burchard, and I linked to the Facebook post where he provided these questions several years ago. So on that note, without further ado, here's the second of my two-part conversation with my mom. So the next of the four sections that we're going to transition to is going to be more about family. Um, So in our first couple of sections, we talked more about your background and growing up, and then we went a little bit more into your career trajectory, lessons that you've learned and whatnot. Um, But now we're going to go to uh, what I think is going to be a a very important topic of conversation, which is uh, specifically family and kids and everything else. Uh, So the first question on the list is how did you meet your spouse when and how did you know that they were the one? Well, it was very simple in a way. I had been married before, and my two old children are the product of that marriage, but I was divorced. And following my uh, interest in gifted children and uh, being part of a group, as I had mentioned, I was at a conference about gifted children at Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. And I happened to look off to the side to my left. I was standing talking to people. Uh, and happened to look and saw a group of my friends, four of them, I'll never forget it, as long as I live, walk in, and there was a large group of people by then getting ready to go to breakout sessions. Uh, And at the end of the line, on the far left side, was this man. And it was the strangest thing, and I don't understand it, maybe somebody will. It was like colored prisms started crashing around in my head and he they were because they saw me uh and they were three of the group were friends of mine uh they walked over towards me and they all got lined to say hello and when he got kind of to the front of the line with the other people i looked at him and i said you're the handsomest man i've ever seen 
And he turned around to look to see who I was talking to. And I think I touched his arm and I said, no, no, I'm talking to you. And that was it. That was your father. And that's how we met. And he introduced himself. And I thought, Al, Al Arnold. Oh, my gosh, that could be Albert. It could be Alvin. I hope it's Al. And I like that name. And I hope it's spelled A-L-A-N instead. I just, you know, then I thought, why do you care? And I thought, because that's going to be your husband. Well, one of my good friends and I were rooming together at that. And she said, Jane, you can't do that. She said, you're the president of this group. She said, what, you know, kind of, I said, I said, I'm going to marry him. She said, no, you're not. I said, you just sit there and watch. You just watch. He's the one. Well, what if he doesn't think so? I said, well, I'll have to figure that out if the time comes. Well, thank heavens there was no figuring out. Uh, And within, I think, about a year, we were married, in fact. And about a year after that, guess who came along? That would be you. And that that was how we met. And I still feel the same way about him, only a thousand times more, because we've now been married for about 44 years. Uh, And I am hoping for at least 10 or 15 more. Uh, In fact, I told him last night, I said, you have to stop working so hard. I said, I am terrified, terrified of losing you. I said, that just can't happen. I said, you're going to have to hire people or just forget about having the brush picked up or, you know, have more. He wants a hundred lambs on this farm. I said, well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. Um, that doesn't surprise me at all. No, well, it doesn't surprise me either, but it's different when you're 35 and when you're going to be 80 on your next birthday in December. So that's how I met him. And that's where we are today. And it was just, and he'll say, he'll say, well, how, how, do, you know, that was a real odd thing for you to say. I said, it was true. I said, you're still the best looking man I've ever seen. Except, of course, my sons. Uh, but I just, it just happened. And I don't know what I would have done with my life if he hadn't come along. Well, going back to, to what your uh, your girlfriends had said or your colleagues saying, well, you know, what, what if what if he's not interested in you? I could just see you saying, oh, he doesn't realize it, but he doesn't have a choice. This is just the way <laughs> it's told, going to be. I've told him that a number of times. And he said, you think I didn't know that? <laughs> I said, well. Has it worked so far? So is this one of those so far so good thing? Yep, yep, he'll get real serious. He'll say, yep, yep. He said, yeah. I said, I think so, you know, 44 years. Yeah, 44 years and thinking so. Well, it all comes full circle. Speaking of going after what you want and uh, not waiting too long to go after it and realizing that you no longer have the time to, that would be just another perfect example of what's the worst that can happen if you just put yourself out there. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, it was, it was, I was, you know, visible in the group and so forth, but I didn't care. I mean, it just all those, I still, I don't understand the prisms. I wish somebody could explain that to me, but they were there and that was it. I mean, I knew immediately from the very first second. Uh, and I, I just, I knew, I knew, and I was right. Uh, and I'm so glad I was and so glad he put up with it. Well, the, the next question, I'm going to give a little bit of context. And you've kind of sort of painted this picture, but I want to paint it a little bit clearer so people aren't confused uh, about where we go with the answer. But as you alluded to, you had two kids. Then you were divorced. The same thing with my dad. He had two kids. He was divorced. And then you two met each other, which nowadays blended families. That's just kind of the way things worked back in the the late 70s. That's definitely not how things worked and how I would always have to explain to people when they said, do you have brothers and sisters? I would say, well, have you seen the Brady Bunch? Imagine (laughs) that the Brady Bunch decided that they were going to meet and then they have one more. I was the square in the center. So you both had families and they were both, I believe, between 12 and 14 or 12 and 15, right? In that period. Uh And then you guys had me. So I give that context. So when I ask this question, people might not wonder why you're not starting this conversation talking about being my parent, because the question is, were you scared to become a parent? And this would have been many years before you had me when, as you alluded to, you were in your early 20s and it just lost both of your parents. So were you scared to become a parent? I felt I was uninformed, of course. Of course, I bought books. Uh, I remember one night your brother was screaming his head off when he was very, very, you know, maybe three or four months old. That scared me. So I found myself walking with John in one arm uh, like a football and Dr. Spock's book in the other. 
as I was reading what to do if you're, you know, that was my approach to everything you read about it. So I guess I was, but I think that the experience, my, as I said, my mother died uh, six weeks before he was born. And uh, I think all of that experience taken together, a pregnancy, a new child, uh, of the, the first child, my son John was my first child, uh, and then my mother's long drawn out death for about two years. Uh, I think that was just, it was so overwhelming. I really didn't have time to be scared. Although uh, on the way home from the hospital, John filled his diapers. And I had never cared for a baby before, never mind a small child, never babysat, nothing. And I remember looking at my husband and saying, John just pooped. What do we do now? Well, he was one of 10 children. And he said, he said, just, just be cool. And he said, I'll take care of it and show you what to do. So we got home and he did. He took care of the whole thing. Like, you know, he could have done it with both hands tied behind his back. And John was happy and I was amazed. Uh, and he said, and that's all there is to it. I said, can you go over that safety pin part? There were no, you know, diapers or anything at that time. And he did. And after that, I wasn't scared anymore. But that first moment in the car, when I realized what had happened and that I didn't have the slightest this, so that was the extent of my parental knowledge. Well, like you said, you found a way to figure it out. Yep. Yep. The next question, uh, again, is uh, more towards the, the topic of parenting, as most of these are. Um, and this one uh, might be a little bit uh, broader because uh, I want to make sure that uh, you feel the opportunity to include everyone in this equation so you don't get yourself in trouble or get me in trouble. Um, but what is your proudest memory or memories of being a parent? Oh, there have been so, so many, so many. All three of you kids have just been Oh, more than anybody could hope for. And uh, truly, truly, John walked when he was nine months and four days old, which was very young and uh, kind of exhausting when you have this little body toddling around. His sister was born 12 months and 13 days after him. So for all intents and purposes, I had twins for the, for the rest of their growing up. But John would walk around and he'd put his hand up almost like a salute and he'd say, Sah, Sah. Well, it took me quite a while, as a matter of fact, to realize what he was doing. He was saying, What is that? What is that? And that's what he wanted to know. And once I realized that when he pointed at a can of soup and said, Sah, he wasn't hungry. He wanted to know what was in that, what was a can, what was in it. And that's the way his intellect has always worked. And that's why I was involved with gifted children. I realized pretty quickly what I had on my hands there. Same thing is true when Kate came along. Uh, she would sit in the corner of a blanket and she'd scream her head off yelling, he's getting me, he's getting me. Well, for about the first 300 times, her father and I would rush into the room expecting to see her all laid out on the floor bleeding and the one who was laid out on the floor close to bleeding, bleeding was her brother. <laughs> and we realized that was her way of looking for attention. Uh, but very, very brave. Could read, uh, I think she was less than three. And she taught herself to read because it didn't dawn, it didn't dawn on me that anybody that young could possibly, you know, teach themselves to read. Uh, so I realized I had two. And the same thing with you. Uh, exactly the same thing with you. But I was, I was smarter smarter when you laid on the changing table we had we got to play the game that you probably won't remember but it was the old one how big is Zachary oh so big so big well one day you looked up at me and said how bizarre I thought what it's the first real kind of phrase and you said how bizarre I thought oh my gosh he's saying how big is Zachary that is exactly what you were saying. I said, so big, and you just laughed and raised your spirit. So it was, uh, the three of you were so bright and so creative and so lively and into so much mischief uh, that there was no time to be afraid. There really was. It was just a matter of what can I do to foster this, to open the world to them, to show them all the possibilities while they're young. Where can we take them? What can we buy, if anything? 
you know, what, what can we do to, to bring all of this to life and bring it all out? And it wasn't just me, of course, or even your, your dads, but uh, it, that is all that has happened with all three of you. And they're the, I mean, you three are the proudest moments of my life. So moving to the next question, this could be a difficult one because it's a very, but you're good at taking something complex and distilling it down to something simple. So you might be better at this than most, but if you had to choose only three words, what three words would best describe your approach to being a parent? I love you. That's it. You love, you love those children with, you know, that all your heart, and all your soul, and there's nothing you do really, no matter how uh, professional it looks that you don't do with them in the back of your mind or the front of your mind. And, you know, they, when they were little, they fall down and you'd be right there along with your mother. And uh, that's it. I love you. I love you. And if that's not there or, or not true, uh, or for some reason blocked, that's a problem. And if it is there with, you know, best looking man I've ever seen and my sister and my friends and certainly you and your wife, John and his wife, you know, Kate and her family, uh, her daughter, my, my grandchild, that's it. And when it's there, everything else is going to fall into place, real money or not, real jobs or not. You know, people who grow up in these cabins in the south and the woods with you know, no running water, and you know, they grow up to be outstanding people. But when you read about them or hear them talk, their parents, in many, many ways, said every day, I love you. I would say this is a, another area where very different conversation between two, diff two different parents, because you I don't remember the exact words. I haven't uh, haven't recorded or listened to that interview with dad for almost a year now. But I know with him, it was very much I would guess it was something like discipline, hard work, passion, intensity, probably somewhere around there. These ideas that conveyed just the, the way that he approaches everything, which is, you know, very analytical, dive into it, get it done, grit, perseverance, intensity. And with you, very, very simple and emotional. So I can I can I can see where, where some of the balance comes from because a very different answer. Well, here's another big secret for you and your listeners. He's a big softie. <laughs> it took me a long time to discover that. I wish you would uh, pulled me aside and warned me about that when I was like 12. Because softie is not the word I would have used to describe my father when I was in my teen years. It probably took me until, I don't know, mid to late 20s before I discovered that there was a much more emotional softie side to him. Because, boy, I never saw that growing up. That's too bad. And it was, it is, you know, in yeah. a ways, I think that, uh, you know, there were some things about that that were a good thing because it instilled, again, a lot of, uh, you know, hard work and grit and perseverance and intensity and discipline and all those other things. But uh, always finding that the balance between the two is, is good as well. So yeah, that was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty easy. Like I said, you, you answered it e easier than most might. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a toe 
diplomat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height-adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. So talking about all the things that we've discussed so far, we've talked about uh, lessons that you learned from your parents, lessons that you've learned through uh, adversity and hardship, your career, your life choices, in regards to everything that we've talked about as far as career and or life choices. What is the most important thing that my children should focus on as they grow up? (sighs) Finding a way to do what they love. And by that, I don't just mean their career. I mean, their their friend relationships uh, to be as comfortable. I mean, they're entering the years that are the hardest, hardest years. Uh, You know, fourth grade through about the age of 25 is just awful, just awful. And the same thing is true as Elliot, who's the oldest, going into middle school. Oh, man. I'd rather be shot than do that again. I truly, I truly, that's the truth. Uh, but finding a way um, to do what they love and to find what they love, I think with both of them, it's getting pretty clear what kinds of things anyway uh, that they love and enjoy and are very, very good at. But uh, not, not to take no for an answer. I think if I had tried hard enough, uh, I could have gone to law school somehow, uh, maybe not University of Wisconsin, but I could have found you know some place that would have got me where I wanted to get. Ultimately, that was a mistake on my part, probably because I was young. Uh, I would hope because I was young, but I think that's the key. I really do. I think when you hate what you do, and there were times when I did, uh, didn't last, didn't stay very long, but. That's a very, very painful, painful experience. But if you can just gather that little piece, that little corner of the towel or whatever it is, someone's you know, coattails that you're hanging on to, and just hang on for dear life and find the ways through the problems. Oh, is it financial? Is it babysitters? Is it whatever? You know, somehow life finds a way to send the handsomest man you've ever seen through a door. There you are. <laughs> you, he upset my plans quite gloriously. As a matter of fact, I remember telling him that one. I said, you know, I was planning on going to law school and doing this and doing that. And he just laughed and said, we still can. Well, that closed that conversation <laughs> mighty quickly. <laughs> So I think that's the secret. Well, and I think that, uh, again, it uh, very much comes back full circle to some of the things we started talking about with this idea of regrets and uh, maybe not doing the things that we want. And I know that from both of you, it has been tattooed to the inside of my forehead against my will that you have no choice, but you must pursue something in life that you are fulfilled by and passionate about. Like it, it's, it's almost the opposite of the value that most people I believe are taught that you must be successful and have security and have a long-term job. And, you know, it's all about how other people see it. And that's not to say that people don't pursue being a lawyer or a doctor or anything else for the right reasons. But I think there's a, a fair majority of people that pursue professional careers because they're supposed to, not because they want to, or they're, they're driven by it. And it, I, if I had chosen to be a brain surgeon, I would have hated it you guys would have deemed me a failure because you would have seen how unhappy I was doing it. So the only way that I can consider something to be successful is if I'm fulfilled by it. And I've, I've had my share of jobs that I didn't like that was either with people that I didn't respect or projects that weren't the right fit or whatever it might have been. But there was always that voice in my head saying, why? Why am I doing this? What is the point of this? Like, what am I getting out of it? And I think if for everybody at a certain point in their life, it's just survival and you need it for the paycheck or whatever it is. And there's no there's no harm in that. There's no shame in that. They shouldn't feel guilty about it. But at some point, 
when are you doing that thing that you hate because you're too afraid to try to do something else as opposed to I have no other choice? And again, talking about being a teacher and all these life lessons, I don't think it's a coincidence that I've decided to pursue a new path in life, which is helping other people find something that's more fulfilling because I just, I'd spend all day, every day talking to people that are miserable, hating what they do. And it just, it's amazing to me, especially when you look at the statistics, I think it's like 74% of people are dissatisfied with what they do for a living. And it's what they do all of their waking hours. And all, my question is why, why? Like, I mean, again, there are certain circumstances where it's difficult to get out of, but at the end of the day, it's like, why, why do that? Life is just too short. So I've, I've certainly learned that from both of you. And if we're looking at the, the combination of the two with you, it was make sure you do what you love. And with dad, it was make sure you do what you love. You better be damn good at it and put every ounce of energy that you have into being the best at it. So it was kind of like, you know, I had the the idea and then the, uh, the idea was that to pursue it, you better just make sure that you're the best at it, which, again, I've had to learn how to find the balance because I've uh, I don't think it's any stranger to my audience and certainly no stranger to my mother that one of the most common words people used to describe me would be intense. Oh, yes. That started when you were in the uh, uh, preschool, when you were about three. In fact, your father got called in for a conference with the teacher that you were so competitive and you were so intense. Uh, they did really, really didn't know what to do with you because nothing seemed to meet that need. Well, those are real needs. They're, they're, you know, they should have found ways. And I hope they did. And we were seeing the same, you know, little boy at home. Uh, Sometimes those needs are real. I mean, not that it wasn't, but they're important. They're important to the person you are. And that's part, that's one of the problems to step way back for a minute. It's a little bit of a commercial. That's, that's a big part of being gifted. It's a telltale part of being gifted. If people wonder, you know, oh my gosh, is this kid really bright? If that's part of his life or her life and approach, yes, the answer is yes. And then you do everything you can to feed that. But, and the joy, the joy comes in that when the opportunities are there to do those things that you love and care about, to read about, to go to museums about, to see performances, to watch on TV, whatever it is, that's when the joy comes. And I can say that it's a, it is definitely a gift but for anybody listening, I would think that they would agree uh, if they, they uh, deal with similar issues. It can also very much be a curse. And oh, I spent an entire lifetime trying to figure out how to balance it be being a gift and also being a curse at the same time and finding what would be a, a happy middle ground. Um, and it's, it's a challenge. Um, I know that there are people out there that can spend their entire lives filling out spreadsheets and they put in their 40 hours a week and they have no passion for their jobs whatsoever and they go home to their families and they live their lives and they're perfectly content. More power to them. Can't do it, don't understand it. And there are a lot of other people that feel that same way. And again, it goes back to this idea of you gotta, you have to pursue something that fulfills you that you're passionate about. And um, if it wasn't abundantly clear before, it's now abundantly clear between you and dad where where that came from, because that is that has been a dinner table conversation um, many, 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 many times in my past. Um, and of course, going back to the original question, uh, has been a very big topic of conversation with our kids too. So if we We've told both of them that, you know, whatever it is that you want to get into, we will support it. But I always add on to it, but you better commit to it. Like with, I remember with, uh, with Evelyn at one time, she was uh, starting to lose her interest in soccer. Um, she was into it for a while. She was playing with her friends. And then all of a sudden you could realize it just wasn't her thing anymore. She's very much like me where she's much more into individual sports, which is why she's now into gymnastics. And we said that if you want to finish out the season and never go back, that is not a problem at all. You will, however, finish out the season. There's no question because your teammates are counting on you. You made a commitment. You can still learn something along the way. But if you decide when you're done that you don't want to do it anymore, not a problem at all. But you will commit and you will follow through. And both of our kids know that where they've jumped around to five or 10 different things that they've been interested in. We'll support any of it as long as they're passionate about it. But they better commit to it. Yeah. 
Yep. Until they don't want to commit anymore. And there, there's a difference between losing the passion and moving on versus quitting because it gets hard. That is not that is not allowed in this household. You are not going to say, oh, this got really hard, so I think I'm going to quit. Oh, no. Oh, no. That will not happen. But if you realize this just isn't my thing anymore and I want to move on to something else, great. We'll support it and we'll take care of it as long as you fulfill whatever current commitment that you made, which is also how I deal with every project and film and everything else. Like if I realize this isn't for me, well, I'm not going to work with these people again, but I at least want to do my best to, to finish out the existing commitment that I've, I've had with him. So anyway, we're going to move on to um, the, the last section, and this is just general kind of life musings and kind of looking back in general. The first of the last five questions, going back to something that could be very difficult, but for you, maybe it's going to be simple, distilling down something very complex, which is your entire life into three words. But what three words would you say best describe who you tried to be in life and how it is that you want to be remembered? Oh, wow. Uh, I think in the beginning, when I was young, even though I had uh, the two kids, there's a big age difference between uh, my daughter and you, about 12 or 13 years. So there were years in there when it was just the two of them. I think at that point in time, what I wanted to be was a su successful career woman in nice clothes and nice shoes. And uh, I remember saying to someone, you know, John and Katie are graduated from high school and I hardly noticed. I said, that's bad. I said, that's not going to happen with Zach. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that's not going to happen. Uh, and that's what that was. It was that drive to be successful, had a good time, was, you know, very fortunate in my choice and friends and all of that. Uh, but that got to the point that it was not fulfilling the needs. And there was a little boy standing right there in front of me. Uh, and that's, that's what I wanted. So I made, I'm, that's how we ended up on the farm. We were laughing today. We looked around at all that really your dad has accomplished. And I said, you think anybody believed we found this place in a two line ad in the country today newspaper? And he laughed, no, no, he said, anybody who'd read that two-line ad would have fled, burned that paper, just get out of, out of my eyes, out of my mind, everything. I said, we came up here to say it and we bought it. I said, yep, and here we are 30 years later. So uh, that's all it took. For me, it took, you know, you're the best looking man, then changed my whole life. Oh, yeah, two-line ad, you know, 280 acres and uh, what was the 200 acres of woods sold? Well, just as an aside, before we get back to the question for anybody that uh, wants to see the documentary on us moving to the farm, it's called The Money Pit, starring Tom Hanks and <laughs> Shelley Long. Um, yeah, that's absolutely. basically, that was my life from uh, age 10 to 18, was living in the money pit. Um, so anybody younger might not know the reference. Anybody my age and older, oh, they know that movie and they know the reference. But I lived in the money pit for about eight years until I graduated from high school. Well, but you poor baby, you were out of there in eight years we are still there you're still yeah but it's no longer the money pit you guys are the 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 end of the movie you're living in it now but you you weren't for a long time um but what that tells me is not the answer to the question it tells me the one of the words is not successful because you realize that having that word to describe at least you know career success was something you decided shouldn't be one of the three words but we still don't know what the three words are hmm. i might have actually gotten you with one I think you have. I think you have. Do that. Do that part of the question again. Three. What words. three words would you say best describe who you tried to be in life and how you would like to be remembered? Successful would be word number one. Younger years. Successful at a career. That's one of the three words. But that's the reference to success, successful. I would say successful in love, and that spreads way beyond just your dad. Uh, to all of you, to your children, uh, even to the pets that we have and have, have loved over the years, genuinely loved over the years, successful in loving. Maybe that would be better, successful in loving. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yes. I won't ask you the follow-up, but yeah, I will. Am I, am I, am I, Am I working? Am I, I mean, am I getting there? I, I would let, I wouldn't say you're getting there. Let's say that you've earned it. How about that? You've, you, you've earned those three words. Yes. Thank you. 
I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. So the next question, what were the three best decisions that you have ever made? Hmm. Well, I'll tell you what I tell people. Uh, when the topic of the three of you comes up, uh, decision number one, I always say, I was smart enough to marry two extremely intelligent, creative, and loving men. And as a result, I have these extraordinary children. Number one, I was very young the first time, a little bit older the second time, but basically it worked out the same. Right enough to marry those men. Oh, and have children with them. That was the that was the adjunct to that sentence. I think leaving leaving my career at the in banking, as such as it was, I think we still ended up with a career or with a checking account, a mortgage, own a car loan. That was the third. That was my experience in banking. Leaving that career, making that U-turn to go all the way up to the to the farm we found with a two-letter or three a three two-sentence ad. In the country today newspaper that was the second most important one and having you we didn't we, we were we had enough children we had four children between us uh and we certainly didn't need you know any more children and now we're both sorry we hadn't had more one because i think you would have liked that uh, but now and for many years uh i certainly would have liked it and dad agrees that we should have had more children. Maybe not. We have a friend that he's working with who has uh, 14 children. We think that might be a little more than... It's a bit uh, much. Yeah. Uh, that, they, he does it. No trouble at all. He's always a friendly and funny and very, very bright, creative, and successful himself. Uh, but we thought that might be a little overkill for us. But two or three more, we could have done that. And we should have done that. Well, if it makes you feel any better, as far as my perspective is concerned, you don't have to regret not giving me siblings because I am uh, wired to be a perfect, uh, the, an only child. So uh, I never, and, and granted, like technically I was an only child, but I also had much uh, older siblings. So maybe that's why I never felt like I needed another sibling, but I didn't feel like I had siblings. I felt like I had like six parents. Because when you're three, four, five years old and your siblings are in high school or college, they don't feel like, you know, buddies or pals that you can play hide and seek with. I just felt like I had an entire collection of parents. So but I, but I never once remember thinking it would be great to have a little brother or a little sister. Um, and I think that I'm I'm perfectly wired to, to be an only child just because of my introverted nature. Like I just kind of like doing my own thing. And I loved living alone until I got married. And um, that's just so I've, if if you have second thoughts about me having wanted siblings you certainly don't need to worry about that because it worked out perfectly for my circumstances so well good because we have had those seconds we're told thank god now we're too old to have any more children under any circumstances so you know we were we're filling the house up with cats right yes um so you're still being parents uh many times over just in a different capacity very different yes 
so the the next question, I think probably you answered it in the previous, but if there's anything different that comes out, then we can certainly talk about it. But the two kind of go together. Um, the previous question being, what were the three best decisions you've ever made? This question being, what are you the most proud of in life? Oh, you three. You three. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that's light years ahead of anything that I might have done on my own. Or uh, I think, you know, if I, if I were being put on the Supreme Court right now, my question would, my, my answer would be exactly the same. I would hope, I would hope anybody in that spot would be able to say that that was the case. Their children, their marriages, uh, you know, their relationships with their own parents, um, friends away from or at that kind of thing. Real life. That's in my mind, that's real life. And you are the, you know, you're the diamonds in the tiara. So I'm going to add on to that. This isn't actually one of the questions, but just to, to add on to this a little bit. Let's assume the answer can't be your children. Mm. What is the legacy you're most proud of leaving that isn't one of us? <sighs> well, my books, of course. Your boxes <laughs> and boxes and boxes and boxes of books that would require an 18-foot U-Haul to, to, to transport. Well, that would be the first, probably. The, the first of the many 18-foot U-Hauls, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not you guys, huh? Well, certainly my marriage to your dad, the relationship there. Uh, not that you know every day has been rosy and romantic. But that would be impossible. Uh, but we, we live through that. We make it work, and it's richer. Uh, the richness of that relationship would certainly be one. You see how oriented to real people this is. Uh, I don't know. We have enough, you know, enough resources that we're we're comfortable. We're very fortunate there. Uh, we've been involved with people. You know, I still have this group of friends that most of us met in maybe fifth grade. Sunday school in many cases and raised all kinds of hell that hell had maybe never seen before uh, or since. And that I consider that a real triumph for, for all of us, for the, for the whole group, that we've maintained those relationships boy, through real thick and thin. Um, it's funny. It's just all about people, isn't it? That's sort of a, that's sort of an aha for me. Because the books and the studying, and I love that. I love that. I loved writing. Um, I loved those speeches. Absolutely loved making those off-the-cuff speeches. Uh, I think that's it. I mean, the three of you, and then if that's a separate category, uh, my relationship with, with your father. Yeah, our marriage. The next question, speaking of uh, your marriage... The question is specifically about you and your spouse. So what message do you have for your spouse that you would want him or her to always keep in mind? Oh, it's the same thing before. So I love you. I love you. That's just the way we, he goes off in the morning. His commute now is around the driveway to this guest house he's building. But he takes it very seriously, gets in the car, starts, you know, rolls down the window. And I stand and wave and he waves back or we throw kisses. But the last words he hears are, I love you. Same thing with, with you guys, if you've ever noticed. The same thing is true with your kids. You know, that's why that's the way it goes. Grandma and grandma always says, I love you. And there's a reason for that. So the last question, and again, this might be one that we've uh, we've covered already, and most likely we have, um, but I think it's a good way to, to wrap it up into a nice, neat little bow, taking all this information and boiling it down to something very, very simple and short and concise is something that you're good at. But the very last question is, what are you the most thankful for? Well, these answers are getting a little bit boring uh, for people, I'm sure, because uh, what else could the answer possibly be to this question? The three of you. Uh, you're healthy, you're brilliant, uh, you have built very interesting lives for yourselves and very diverse, all three of you. Uh, your children, I mean, my grandchildren are just, oh my goodness, well, you know how that goes with me. That's the kind of end all and be all. Your dad, uh, those are the things I am definitely most proud of. I can't imagine there being... I mean, a nice house is very nice. You know, it's comfortable. We have more than we need to eat, that's for sure. Uh, 
we're very fortunate in those ways. We're not bazillionaires or gazillionaires. We never will be. Uh, but that's fine. Two little lambs in the barn and a cat comes in the middle of the night, 2.30 in the morning. That's her calling time. Plump, she's on the bed. Next thing I know, she's right here. Spreads herself out across my whole body. And she goes to sleep. And I go, hmm, all right. <laughs> I've lost more sleep over that cat than I ever did over the three of you combined. Hmm. Well, when I asked what you were the most thankful for, I assumed your answer was going to be Amazon Prime. Oh, well, that's a whole different. And the, it's just amazing. Now with the, the COVID thing, you know, we get packages literally every day. And I'm saying to myself, this has been a year. How did we live? You know, we, we are, we're, um, it's written down in our Amazon Prime that we've been customers since 1995. For the first two or three years, we were customers, Prime customers, when there was Prime. We used to get little Christmas presents, would you believe, uh, from Amazon and from Jeff Bezos. Little cards signed from Jeff Bezos or somebody. And they'd send out little pads of paper or special pens or the three combined. Can you believe it? We got presents from Amazon. That's how long we've been there. And now I'm thinking, how did we survive all those years from 1995 to 2020 uh, without getting all these boxes? But you have been getting boxes since 1995. That's my point. (laughs) Oh, yes, we have. You knew about Amazon before the world knew about Amazon. You I were did. You were singing Amazon's praises when all they did was sell specialty books. And we were like, why are we getting books in the mail? This is very confusing. Like there were book clubs and I was a part of, I think it was called Columbia House, where they would mail VHS yep. tapes. But we just yep. kept getting these books and we're like, how are you ordering these and getting them? Like it was that weird of a thing. And you would say, just you wait. Just you wait and see what Amazon becomes. And you own Amazon stock for a long time, which might actually speak to the whole idea of now feeling comfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. But you were talking about – I think you you kept saying – would have been in the late 90s when I was still uh, still at home. You would say, buy Amazon and Apple. And at the time, again, Apple was – I don't remember the exact timeline, but not maybe a laughing stock anymore. But they were on that downward trend before it was kind of the, the second rebirth of Apple. And people kind of laughed at you when you would talk about Amazon and Apple. Oh, yes. And now they yes. literally rule the entire planet. They do. They do. I, I one, one day, one uh, episode, and I think I've told you this. Uh, on my little tiny brokerage account, uh, I bought, and I can't remember which was which, uh, let's say Apple stock for $14 and Amazon for $16. And that was my big, I guess, I think I had like 100 shares of each, and that pretty much wiped out my entire investment account. And your dad and everybody thought I was absolutely nuts. And, that's, and that's look at where we are now. Says, that's the smile that says, and who gets the last laugh now? I believed in those two guys right from the very beginning, both of them, both of them, no matter how unattractive they might be as personalities or anything, that wasn't important. What was important was what they were doing and the creativity they were bringing to it and the effort and the people they were bringing in around them. And they were the guys. I knew that. Unfortunately, both of them were married, but no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it was just the same feeling. I just knew it. Oh, I got treated terribly by my some of my computer students i mean they literally laugh out loud that i was such a supporter of apple well i can't even remember some of those computer companies that they used to buy computer at any rate well and again still getting boxes of books you are every single day as a matter of fact yeah, just about um, every single and it, day. And it yep. all comes back full circle to this idea of number one having that rebel tendency and not caring what other people think and not bowing down to, you know, the peer pressure or the group thing, but also recognizing the value of people. And as somebody that uh, is very, very good at understanding how the gifted mind works, you recognize two very, very gifted people in them and put your faith in them as people, not necessarily, oh, that's a pretty smart product. It was what they were building as people that you recognized. And here we are 25 years later, and you are now very much getting the last laugh. Yeah, I certainly am. <laughs> and I enjoy every single second of it, too. Yep, I really do. Uh not just because I was right. I knew I was right all along. I know I was right about them. 
uh, and their ups and downs and all their problems and their little scandals and all the rest of it. Uh, but, you know, look what they've built, not alone, but look what they built. You know, the old joke about Bezos wrapping books in his garage and mailing them. Well, I believe he did that. Probably not all of them first, but I think he probably did it just to get a feel for how it goes and, you know, How's the, what's the best way to make this work? Well, I'm going to do this for a week or a month or whatever. And I just wish to heaven now I had kept some of those little Christmas presents because nobody believes you got Christmas presents from Amazon in the early years. And we did for several years. Probably be worth something too. Yeah, probably would. Yeah. They'd only been signed. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, that concludes uh, the the questions that we have on the, the questionnaire and uh, wasn't terribly surprising to me, but even I learned some new things that I didn't know and heard some new stories. Um, and I would say that uh, my, my life and who I am as a person now makes a little bit more sense than it did beforehand. And for Good. anybody that is listening, um, I would highly, highly recommend if you still have parents that are uh, alive and available to you, that you take the time to sit down and ask these questions because I think it's it's very important to to better understand where you came from and who your parents are as people beyond just being your parents and what you can still learn from them to this very day. So um, this has been a, a terrific conversation for me today and uh, um, one of thousands of conversations that we've had over the years from our very first days of 20 questions uh, driving around when I could barely speak to, to now. So um, I would say that, yes, you've, you've achieved achieved all of the things and more that you are proud of and then some and proud to, to say that you're my mom and uh, say right back at you that I love you as well. And I hope that uh, that this was a, a good way to spend your Mother's Day. Oh, it was absolutely wonderful. Thank you, sweetheart. I have enjoyed every single minute, like all of our conversations. You know, Mother's Day is next Sunday, so I'll expect the call about the time you're leaving Tony's. <laughs> oh yes, we'll, we'll we'll do our our regular Sunday conversation uh, after my my Sunday ninja workout for sure, as always. Wonderful. So, all right. Well, uh, I appreciate you. you. You bet. Thank you. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.